Good. Well, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. We're on this uh, uh, series on the harvest and looking at different aspects of harvest. And this morning I want to talk about harvest, harvest of grain, new wine and oil. And uh, link some things with regard to that. And if you read Joel chapter 2, particularly you notice the first few verses, I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to read a passage from it, but the first few verses are really quite tough, and it talks about locust swarms coming and devouring things, and and God is talking about his judgment that he's going to be bringing on the nation, on God's people, and so he begins to outline what is going to happen, and it's total devastation, and then you see God's people begin to respond to that to that call from God and to that declaration from God. And when you get to verse 12, it says that they began to repent. And as a, as a people, as God's people, they began to turn around and, and look to him again. What had happened, they, they strayed away from his purposes. They strayed away from following his decrees, his rules, his, his laws, as it were. And now they want to align themselves to him. Do you ever find yourself, have you ever found yourself in a place where you've been following God and then after a while it seems like, Oh, I've just drifted away a bit. You don't have to put your hand up. This is not a conviction service this morning in that sense. Um, and you just know it's not, you're not quite right. I've got some great news for you because when the people of God in verse 12 started to repent and turn back to God, verse 13 says, he was eager to relent. Are you glad that God is eager to relent when it comes to judgment and wrath um, we were hearing a bit about it from Hugh last week, and we don't talk about it a lot, but he was outlining those harvests and, and the whole deal with judgment that uh, are for those who do not follow the Lord. And so you get this, he's eager to relent, and then you find the promise of restoration. This is what I want to pick up on. Verse 18, then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Doesn't that sound good? To satisfy you fully. You ever tried to feed kids? You ever tried to feed boys? Yeah, I mean, this is a nightmare season you're coming into because they're off school and they're going to be raiding our Pete. He's there, bless him. He used to go in the kitchen. Every time he walked in the kitchen, he had an automatic thing that he did. He walked to the fridge, he opened it, and he scanned it. And something came out. I think he doesn't do that necessarily. At least I don't catch him now. Probably. But he says there was going to be enough to satisfy you fully in this harvest. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the northern horde far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land. Its eastern ranks will drown in the Dead Sea and its western ranks into the Mediterranean Sea. And its stench will go up, its smell will rise. Surely he has done, God, he has done great things. God is going to do great things for us. Yeah, let's keep hold of that. Let's keep hold of that promise. And in verse 24, it says, The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. And I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, even the great locusts, etc., etc., through to verse 26. When you look at our nation, how many of you think that our nation has been turning its back on God for a little while now? With some of the laws that we pass, with some of the 
moral standards that seem to have been eroded over recent years. How, what do we do with that? How do we deal with that? You know, I'm going to make a statement now that may not be popular, because not all of you may agree with it. But sometimes we are encouraged to repent on behalf of our nation. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I'm not sure we can. Ooh. See, I think a repentance thing is a personal thing. I think we repent of our own sin. Let me try and explain that a little bit. Ezekiel 14, I'll read a passage from, well, I won't read it, I'll just refer to it. Ephesians, uh, Ezekiel 14, 12 to 20. It talks about when the Lord says that he reaches out his hand of judgment for an, on a nation for their sinfulness, he says this, that even Noah, Daniel, and Job, if they were, if they were there praying for the nation, it wouldn't, wouldn't do anything. They couldn't repent on behalf of the nation. It goes on to say that they can't even repent on behalf of their children. But what can we do? I believe our repenting can begin to change a nation. Let me explain that. 2 Chronicles 7, 12 to 14. And this is where Solomon had just dedicated the temple to God. One night, the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I've heard your prayer. I've chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. Isn't that great news? Solomon's done something. God's pleased with it. He wants to honor that. He says, I'm going to bless this place. But then he says in verse 13, At times I may shut up the heavens so that no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to devour your crops, or send plagues among you. Not a great promise to receive in your dream. But sometimes those things come. But then he says in verse 14, But then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. I'm going to forgive their sins and restore their land. I think God's up, up for forgiving sins. Your sins are my sins. And I think as we live righteously before God and ask him to do that, that begins to begin a process of affecting our land. How many of you know where you walk, where you live, the people you rib shoulders with, it's different because you were there. Some of you are not so convinced. You are carriers of Jesus and his spirit wherever you go. And the closer we walk with God, the more influence we have in our world. So as we repent and get our lives right, the net effect begins to be that our nation begins to be changed. Now, some of you are going to have to go and process that and think about that for a couple of days and email me and say, David, that was rubbish if you don't believe me. Have a think about it, what I just said there. But have a look at the outcomes in Joel chapter 2. And we've got three harvests mentioned there. The grain harvest, new wine or grape harvest, the oil harvest, which is the olives. And when you think of grain, you think of stuff for making bread. The sustenance of life, you know, although healthy people these days would say you don't need bread. But actually, you know, it's been the sustenance of life for millennia, hasn't it? Bread. 
I still like a good bit of bread. And it brings physical strength to our bodies. You think about the wine and what does that rem, uh, represent? Joy, well-being. How many of you believe God wants to, that sense of joy and well-being in your life? You know, there's tons of stuff going on out there. It's very high profile at the minute about um, mental health, isn't it? God's into mental health. Here's the thing, he's into good mental health. He's into well-being and joy in our lives. And he said, I want to bring a harvest of well-being and joy into your life. I want to bring a harvest of good health into your life. And thirdly, you've got the oil. Which oil often in the scriptures refers to the Holy Spirit. How many of you know God wants to bring health into your spiritual life? Body, soul, and spirit. The whole caboodle there in Joel chapter 2. And yet with all those harvests, and that sounds great, in fact in, in verse uh, 24 it says, the threshing floors will be filled with grain, the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. So there's a sense of an abundance of these things. Anybody want an abundance of health? An abundance of sense of well-being? An abundance of the sense of God being with you, your spirit empowered to be all that God's called you to be? But in the midst of all that, you know, I'm not a farmer, but I'm not thick. Some of you are not sure now. You know, just gathering those things in, that wheat or that grain, those olives or, or that, those um, grapes, how many of you know that's not the end of the process? There's a bit of pressure comes then to having brought that harvest in to see it really released into all that it's going to be. So, for example, the grain gets beaten like mad all those ears with the grain on and they separate the chaff from the wheat yeah the olives are pressed so that the oil comes out pressure the grapes are pressed so the juice comes out pressure harvest can often seem in the words of Charles Dickens Sometimes the best of times hit the worst of times. How many have found the blessing of God sometimes running parallel with it is challenge? You know, let's, let's be real. It's not all living on cloud nine. We do live with challenge. But scripture tells me in the midst of the challenge, psalmist says I can run through a troop, I can jump over a wall with my God. And here's the thing, God wants to help us because his amazing grace in provision is available for us supernatural joy in the midst of challenge can be released to us and the empowering presence of God's spirit will enable us to live through those challenges I think in this season that we're sensing in terms of harvest in our nation there will be great joy but there will some, be some challenges that run alongside it there'll be some things that challenge us as God's people as the church how many of you know that you know the Christian faith is probably one of the most vilified and challenged in the world right now. Not just in the UK, but in some parts of the world, hugely so. So how, or, or, so, you know, what are some of the challenges that we might face to do with harvest, and how do we deal with those? Well, we've heard about one, I think, already this morning. 
that sense of delay. You sense God said something, you sense God's going to do something, and yet it hasn't happened yet. Anybody ever been there? And you wonder, when is this going to happen? A few weeks ago, um, it was Pentecost Sunday, I spoke a message, talked about prophecy, Pentecost harvest. Anybody remember that? Great, because I did ask you to remember it, at least for two weeks, up to Vision Sunday, but some of you remembered it a bit longer, that's great. And one of the illustrations I gave in there was um, back in March and April sort of time, I'd been traveling, traveling around um, Lincolnshire quite a bit with uh, some stuff I do with Ground Level, which is a network of churches we're part of. And at that time, it was when the oilseed rape was all in bright yellow flower. Anybody remember that? Just a couple of months or so ago. And I'd seen this program on TV, and, and they were talking to a farmer, and he said, you know, they, they sow the oilseed rape uh, September time, sort of, before the winter kicks in. And, and it, so it has time to take root, but it only grows three or four inches. And then it just stays like that all over winter. And it looks like nothing's happening. It's just like dormant. But it's hardy enough to survive the winter. And it comes all the way through to January, February, and then you get into March. And in March and April, in four weeks, it goes from four inches to four foot. Just like that. Just like that. <laughs> Don't stop. <laughs> this could really go badly. And all of a sudden it's in flower. And it's like it's been like dormant. This thing that the farmer was sowing for, preparing for, etc. And it takes all this time. But then I realized, you know, it was in flower. You know, and Jesus said, look, the what fields are white to harvest using a different uh, harvest analogy. Pray to send forth laborers. And you think, wow, how exciting. But how many of you know if you drive around the fields of Lincolnshire right now, they're probably only just starting to harvest the oilseed rape. Because they don't harvest it till July, even though it was yellow in April. It's like a bit of a delay. And sometimes the promises of God have a bit of a delay to them. And we think, well, we get all excited, and I'm all for getting a bit excited. I know some of you are not, but there you go. But then suddenly, James puts it like this in the New Testament, chapter 5, verse 7. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently wait for the return sorry, for the autumn and the spring rains. And Irene said this morning, he has not forgotten. What God has promised, what God has said, he has not forgotten. And then she said, my paraphrase, and don't you forget either. Don't forget what God has said. Keep on, if there's a bit of a delay, don't forget. Second thing, I'll use the word dysfunction. Dysfunction, it's when something doesn't function how you expect or hope or imagine it would. Things don't work. How many of you had a promise and you sense something and, and yet it doesn't quite work out how you imagined? Can I say this? 
everything that you are going through right now, whether good, bad, or ugly, can have a purpose to it. Romans 8.28 assures us this, because Paul says, in all things, all things work together. Everybody say all things. All things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Anybody got a sense of purpose over their life in God? Well, that's seven of you. Great. So therefore, all things, good, bad, or ugly, huh? We don't like to claim that sometimes. Friday night, I was aiming to be at the Rock Foundation uh, dedication service thing at the Caster Center. However, in the biblical sense, uh, and in those days it came to pass. Shall I not go into the medical details of that, but let's say for 36 hours I was knocked out. So I was sat, rather than being at the rock, I was sat on my sofa in the front room and I get this text from this church leader, church minister. And it's quite a lengthy text and there's quite a bit of disappointment in it because they'd put him for a post that they actually thought they were probably going to get and they hadn't got it. And there was a big bit of disappointment in this text. And I was quite sad for them, really. And, and, but then I was reminded, and I, and I just wrote down these words that I've often quoted here from Bishop Tony Miller, who's going to be speaking at the one event in a few weeks' time. And he makes this statement, which I believe is absolutely true. Amidst all those disappointments, God is continually preparing you for what he has prepared for you. If we can get a hold of that, and I sent that text off, and within three seconds I got a, got a reply very, very quickly. Wow. I'm so pleased you sent me that. It just puts us perspective on when things don't quite work out how we thought they might. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, says, We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Then he said, we're perplexed. Or another word for perplexed is, have you ever been stunned? You know, something happens, you're just stunned. Where did that come from? He said, we're perplexed, but not in despair. He said, we are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. What a mindset. What a perspective to have when challenges come, when things don't quite work out. Psalmist put it this way in Psalm 9 The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Never forsaken. Okay, number three. Another challenge that sometimes we face, and even in seasons of harvest, is past failure. Anybody failed at anything? You don't have to put your hand up. I wasn't looking for confession this morning. 
But past failure can be a real challenge, can't it? Because it can leave us with a sense of helplessness, hopelessness, um, even depression. But it's something that we all have to journey through. I was interested to read about the Canadian actress, a lady called Mary Pickford. She was one of those who was a founder with others of what are now known as the Oscars. So was, uh, she was in the movies in the first part of last century, so some of you will remember. <clears throat> but she said this, she said, to fall is not to fail, unless you fail to get up again. To fall is not to fail, unless you fail to get up again. The writer of Proverbs puts it this way, exactly the same thing. A righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. God is in this business of restoring and lifting us up, and lifting our heads up, encouraging us in our journey. Apostle Paul puts it this way, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Some of you have got to forget some things. Some of you have got to forget some things. Yes, remember some things that Irene said, but some things you've got to forget. One of the most well-known New Testament characters who experienced failure and moved on for it, of course, was Peter. You know, Peter, the guy who seemingly let Jesus down, not only once. And he's the one in Acts chapter 2 who begins to speak to a gathered crowd who is witnessing this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it says those who accepted Peter's message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to that number that day. And then in verse 47 it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there was something happened. You know, but here's an interesting thought. Peter didn't isolate himself. Sometimes, you know, when we feel a bit of a failure, we isolate ourselves, yeah? Don't isolate yourself. He was there in a room with another 119 people when the Holy Spirit came. When he stood up on that day of Pentecost, it says he stood up with the 11. He didn't stand up on his own. Ecclesiastes tells us that, you know, don't be alone. Two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the person who falls down and doesn't have somebody alongside them to help them up. Don't isolate yourself. Hey, I'm running out of town. Musicians, come back. What's another challenge? Fear. Fear, big challenge, can affect us. You turn on the news, you've got wars, conflict, violence, crime, natural disasters, division, all in 30 minutes on a newsreel. And then in the natural, we fear for our children's future, we fear for our families. And for the Christian, we can fear persecution. That seems reasonable. The song we sang earlier says, our, our fear gives way to him who is our peace. Acts chapter 1. Peter and John were preaching, following this outpouring of the Holy Spirit a few days later on, and 
And it says there that the people were greatly disturbed, the authorities, and they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Who knows what we may face in this season of harvest in the UK for the gospel. But yet in the midst of it all, when they were brought before their accusers the next morning, they had a very different perspective to the natural one. Similarly to the psalmist who said, I put my trust in you when I am afraid. We sang another song earlier, I sing a hallelujah, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Jesus said, peace is what I leave with you. This is a promise from him, John 14. And Peter filled with the Holy Spirit after they'd been arrested. Verse, th- verse 4, sorry, verse 13 of chapter 4. He, he addresses the Sanhedrin, filled with the Holy Spirit is. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they'd be, they were unschooled men, but that they had been with Jesus. Fear, so debilitating. But with our eyes on Jesus, transforms everything. If you've got a bit of fear over your life today, Jesus can transform everything. I had one more point, I'm going to leave it. But it's knowing what to do. Because sometimes, even in the midst of harvest, we don't know what to do. I'll just say this. In that bumper harvest that was going on in the early acts of the apostles there, they suddenly found themselves with thousands and thousands of people to look after. What do we do? Sometimes they need, we need just to do some things differently. Sometimes we need some new strategy, and God brought new strategy for them. There was a greater harvest out there in the wider world and and God by his Holy Spirit bore witness with their spirits that there were people to go and to be sent. There were decisions to be made about the culture of the church and how it was to spread out among the Gentiles and scripture tells us that God brings his wisdom right into that very scene. And I don't know where you are today. Whether you're in a season where you sense good things, but there's a bit of a delay. Or you are in a position where you think, actually, things aren't quite working out how I thought they would. Or you're a bit stuck in your own thinking because of perhaps failures of the past. Or maybe there's a bit of fear in your life with regard to the future. Or you may not know what to do in a particular situation. Why don't you stand with me? I want to pray. Because I believe God wants to help us with those issues as we face them, and we inevitably do in whatever season of life we're in, but sometimes they become more paradoxical in a season of harvest when you sense God is at work, God is doing something like it is the case in our nation right now. But he says, I'm sending you grain, I'm sending you new wine, I'm sending you oil. 
enough to satisfy you fully. Body, soul, and spirit. In the midst of all those challenges, right now, why don't you just lift your hands up to him? If you're facing any one of those things, or you, any of those just resonate with you this morning, just reach your hands out, I want to pray. And Father, all across this room, as people have their hands out for many, many different reasons, in this season of your grace and favor upon us as God's people and as, even as this nation, we pray, Lord, right here and now, that you would bring everything we stand in need of. Lord, we thank you for the provision of your word. We thank you, Lord, that where there is delay, the promise is not ended, but fulfillment is coming. We thank you, Lord, where things haven't played out, we dare to believe that you've ordered all things for our good, and the end of the story will be far better than we ever dreamed or imagined. And I pray your that sense of well-being upon those people who are just wondering right now. Lord, for those who've been controlled with failures of the past, I ask right now in Jesus' name that those controlling things be broken today and that right here, right now, becomes a new moment from this point forward. Like the apostle, we say, forgetting those things, we press forward to the things which are ahead. For those who are experiencing anxiety and fear, we say be renewed in your thinking, renewed in your mind. Let God's word fill you. Let God's word overflow in you. Let it be real to you. Let it be restorative to you right now in your thinking. And let the peace of God, which supersedes all our natural reasoning, your portion today in Jesus name and for those who are sensing good things but you're not entirely sure how to respond you're not entirely sure what to do Lord for those who are in that sort of season Lord would you bring your word to them Lord I thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray you will speak right into their very spirits. I pray there'll be counsel of others that would be encouraging. Prophetic direction will flow into their lives. An understanding of the season that they are in, an understanding of the days that they're in, an understanding of the calling that they have on their lives. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen.